0: In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my fing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother f-ing editorials on the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My fing ass. With Granny and Bischoff. Rip them mother f-ers. Rip them touching suckers like the fing players.
1: The Colorado Avalanche beat the St. Louis Blues in overtime of Game One. Colorado outshot St. Louis 54 to 25. Jordan Bennington made 51 saves, but gave up the game-winning goal in overtime. That very much felt like a game St. Louis needed to steal to have a yeah. shot to win the series.
2: I mean, it was it was still one-sided. They hit four posts. Um, <sighs> You know, this is a wasted 12 days, <laughs> 12 days this now. Is 12 oh, because, I think, because I think St. Louis might win a game and okay. I think they might win a game. So when they go home, but yeah, they've got to I think they got to steal one of the two right in Colorado. Um, and, yeah. this, and that might've been their best chance, even though they got completely outplayed when you get to OT, you just need one shot, right. To, to right. win the game. So yeah, that, that, that wasn't good. That was one you felt like, Oh, they could have had that one. And then I don't know if it would have been a series, but then you, then you put a lot of pressure on Colorado in the second game.
1: Right, and it's very unlikely that St. Louis will outplay Colorado four times to win this series. Right. If the Blues were going to upset the Avalanche, win the series in advance, they're going to need to win games where the Avalanche outplay them, but they way a way to keep them off the scoreboard and score a goal in overtime, and that felt like one of them. Because I feel like if they play the same exact game in Game 2 – the avalanche win like five to
2: two yes well yeah hitting four posts and having all those right. scoring chances yeah
1: and it's and it's okay it's two nothing and colorado just dominated back-to-back game so that felt like like say it's hockey st louis will probably have a game or two in the series where they do outplay colorado where they have more shots or more scoring chances and they need to win those but they probably can't do that four, four times, times so they to need win. to steal one right and last night was a shot and they didn't take it kaylong told me a couple days ago I, you gotta get rid of this echo. <laughs> I can't, can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> the Lightning beat the Panthers four-one in Game One. So Tampa went into Florida and stole Game One. Did you know the Panthers haven't scored a power play goal in the postseason? I didn't know that
2: till I saw the rundown.
1: <laughs> what? I didn't,
2: I, I didn't see that to the rundown, but
1: they, they won a postseason series not scored a power play goal. This
2: is gonna be. I just can you bet against Tampa at this point I, I mean can you bet against Cooper and Tampa at this point they every year now Kucherov last night um I they might do this again man if they if they can do this again that would be that'd be amazing if you can win three straight now in, in you know 2022 in the, these days
1: right it'd be an unbelievable run to win three straight Stanley Cups like it, incredible and especially this year where their first two rounds they're going through teams that finished above them right in above their them
2: in the, pl- in the in the season
1: Right. like Tampa had a good year but florida and toronto had a, a better year and it would be an incredible run just to get there and if they pull it off again and win three straight cups that's that's one of the most impressive runs one of the most impressive three-peats probably an american sports history.
2: maybe johnny cooper says i can be that new voice
1: oh come on i can voice. be that
2: new voice McCrimmon. give me a call I, I i've already won three what else am i going to do in this place i'm going to win three in a row i don't care about your next question
1: The NBA is expected to add a transition take foul rule next season. This would give the offense one free throw and the ball. It would be called when a player or when there is a fast break and a defensive player simply just sort of grabs and holds a guy near midcourt to prevent a a, a two-on-one fast break. Right right now that foul gets gets uh, taken in the nba it's just a normal foul if you're not in the bonus they just take a side out and you get no free throws out of it but they would institute this and it'd be you know it'd be the referee's discretion here but it'd be a free throw plus they get to keep the ball which would effectively kill it off because you wouldn't want to just give away a free free throw anytime you do this i think they need it because that foul is taking away one of the most entertaining parts of basketball and that is fast break opportunities
2: yeah I don't have a problem with it I mean yeah. it, it's stupid now if you just grab him at midcourt and nothing happens you can see dunks you can see all kinds of things on fast breaks
1: so I am 100 percent in favor of this being a rule it'll make the game more fun it'll encourage fast break play and discourage guys from just taking a foul where they grab a guy around the hips to make sure they don't get a dunk
3: so would this be kind of like in lieu of a uh, clear path foul cuz that's not really called too much.
1: No, cuz clear path foul is not deemed. Well, I guess sometimes it's deemed intentional, but it would right. I think the clear path would still exist. It, this is just more this is this can be called when like it's 3 on 3, when you clearly have enough guys you back, just grab but a guy. they just they just foul the guy cuz they're like, "Oh, Giannis right. is running too fast. Right. I better not let him get all the way to the rim." Right. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you thank you, sorry. sorry robot umps were used in AAA baseball last night to call balls and strikes uh, last night was the first night that the automated balls and strike system was put into place um, I did not know this but the, the strike zone according to the lasers and the robots, it's the width of the plate plus one inch on either side So there's a little bit of uh, extra strike zone for pitchers. And then they actually have a specific percentage of the batter's height to determine how low and how high it is. Yeah, it does. Mm. So the the lower part of the zone, what we normally would refer to as the knees, is 27% of a batter's height, and the higher portion is 52.5% of a batter's height. So it adjusts to every batter that's up there, which is normal. That's fine. Um, I... I don't know how it went. I didn't watch any AAA games last night, but I hope this goes well. And I hope this is the uh, second step because we've seen this before, but I hope this is the second step to getting this into Major League Baseball because I think it will be significantly better.
2: What will they do with Angel Hernandez? Just put him on third now?
1: I mean, there's still somebody behind the plate telling everybody that it was a ball or a strike. So there still is a home plate umpire. We just don't use his eyes to <laughs> determine the strike zone. We use a robot. We use lasers like it's a much better situation. Oh,
3: next question standing in your corner. Next question
1: BYU has canceled a football games against Utah State. They are going to play this season, but they were scheduled to play through 2026 and BYU is canceling everything after this year. They're saying it's because they're joining the Big 12. They're only going to have three non-conference spots to fill every year. But BYU and Utah State have played 90 times since 1922. I feel like this is one they they need to to make. Yeah,
2: it's an in-state game. And if you have three, why don't you just take this as one? Yeah. I I mean, they're probably holding out for Notre Dame and, you know, some of these big TV games that BYU can get because of – you know, because it's BYU, but you can give Utah State and you can get two more of those games if you want them. Although, being in the Big 12, you probably only want one of those games. And then, uh, hey, come on. Give the Rebels a game. Give oh, the Rebels get, a game I, in Allegiant where it'd be 90% BYU fans, but there'd be a lot of people.
1: I think I need to go check. I think they canceled some games against UNLV too. Um, they've been canceling a lot of games come because on. they've been scheduling 12 non-conference games for their entire right. history, right. and now they've got to cut back. So, it's not completely unnormal. I think even if it's not every single year, there should be some level of like BYU and Utah State. Yeah, playing, you're playing
2: since 1922 and you're breaking that up.
1: Right. What's like we at least it? be like, hey, every, you know, three out of every five years we play Utah yeah. State. Like if, if you're like, okay, you can't make it work every year, fine. But that feels like one where it's 90, 90 times in the last 100 years, basically, that you should probably find a way to make that one work. Find a way to keep playing Utah State on a fairly
3: regular basis. Next question.
1: Okay, this is phenomenal. The Athletic got a copy of the this lease agreement weird. that Arizona State has signed <laughs> with the uh Arizona Coyotes. And if you don't if you don't remember, the Coyotes got kicked out of their arena this upcoming season. They are going to be playing at Arizona State's hockey facility. Arizona State just became a Division 1 program like what 3 years ago, yeah, something like that. Recently, Like they, they're brand new. Now, apparently they, they have a nice facility, but it only seats like 5,000 people or something like that. Like, it's unbelievably small. But the Athletic got a copy of their lease agreement, and one of the funniest parts in this is there is a clause about bad behavior. And this is what the Athletic wrote. If the Coyotes become subject of adverse publicity, contempt, scandal, or ridicule for violating widely held principles of public morality... Failing to conduct its business affairs with a high degree of integrity and honesty and or failing to act as a good corporate citizen, Arizona State can get out of its deal with the Coyotes. It's unbelievably funny that there's a clause in there that Arizona State can be like, listen, you got some bad press over here. We're cutting the <laughs> lease off because you're embarrassing us.
2: Well, it's better than if they put in there if the uh, Coyotes lose. well, Because then they'd, boy, <laughs> they'd be out of that deal within a month.
1: I, listen, we made fun of this when it was first announced. I don't think we've made enough fun of this. Oh, that they get to play how at Arizona State? are the Coyotes going to be playing? How is an NHL team going to be playing at this tiny college hockey arena? This is, it's unbelievably well, embarrassing.
2: I guess my question is, even though it's the Coyotes, how many season ticket holders do you have to begin with? I mean,
1: it's 2,000 now, I guess. A couple thousand? I I, I would assume they would have had more than that. Yeah. I mean, as
2: bad as they are, it's still an NHL team.
1: Right. But I I cannot believe we're going to have an NHL team playing in this tiny college hockey arena. Like, in all seriousness, when we talk about Major League Soccer coming to Las Vegas, one of the key details is that they might not let a Major League Soccer team play at Allegiant Stadium because Major League Soccer has specific, like what they want their team to play in are soccer specific stadiums that have a certain amount of seats and so they don't like teams playing in football stadiums there's a few exceptions but for the most part they probably won't put a team in Vegas if they had to play to league right, stadium right that's major league soccer for whatever reason the NHL is like all right whatever yeah go play to 5000 seat arena or whatever the hell it is like it's it is unbelievably embarrassing that this would happen to the biggest hockey league in the world that one of their teams would have to like call up the Arizona State Sun Devils hockey team and be like, "Can we come play at your place?" It's I I it's unreal. I, I can't get over how embarrassing that actually is.
2: I got to give Arizona State all the leverage here.
1: Of course, this is
2: awesome. Where, I love where else they are have the, the coyotes leverage. Play? They have the leverage over the Coyotes. Yeah, exactly. What 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 level do you go down from Arizona State? I don't know all the rinks and uh, do they have like a flamingo ice house? I, I'm I mean, where would that's they, play? All they
3: have? Yeah, they, they like, might have to go to a roller rink. Yeah, that'd be great. Man, you know, that's a great question.
1: Kylian Mbappe could be headed to Real Madrid. He's 23 years old, might be the best player in the world. Uh, He plays for PSG, but his contract is up at the end of this season. And it sounds like he's going to Real Madrid. The amazing part about this, Ed, is the way soccer works is there's not really trades. You just sort of sell players. Other teams come in and say, hey. We'll pay you a hundred million dollars to give us that player. PSG might have the best player in the world who is twenty-three years old, and they let his contract run down to where they can't even sell him. He's just gonna leave and go to Real Madrid, and they're not gonna get anything for having the best player in the world when he's twenty. How
2: does that happen though?
1: Because how there was that- a lot of drama last summer about would he leave, would he try to go somewhere else, and PSG just desperately wanted to keep him. Regarding most teams if they know a guy wants to leave or could leave, they'll sell the player before his contract right. runs out. That way they get something. They get money from whoever's buying him. But PSG desperately wanted to keep him around for this year, regardless of his contract status, and it ends that—and it means that he's probably leaving PSG as effectively a free agent, which doesn't really happen a whole lot in soccer, and they're going to get nothing out of Kylian Mbappe's uh, transfer to Real Madrid.
2: Did I hear a huge game is coming? To Vegas? Did I hear that yesterday.
1: Are we getting a game?
2: Who's
3: Danny? Uh, yeah, they. I I read something yesterday that they're very close to signing a preseason El Clasico that'll be played at Allegiant Stadium. Oh man, I, I thought I read that wasn't happening. I thought I read yesterday that it was close to happening. I'll
0: look it up real quick. Now we're going to break. We'll figure it out next. It's the press box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN, Las Vegas.
1: All right, Ed, you have breaking news from a respectable source in Madrid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is
2: a local uh, local report saying that uh, Madrid Zone, along with sports oh. reporter Helena Condis-Ido, announced on Twitter that Real Madrid and Barcelona will play in El Clasico, however the date of the match has not been announced. Uh, so. I'd like to tell you I speak uh, Spanish, but I don't. Uh, but I guess this says that they're going to play, um, in El Clasico, uh, and no date, no details about the match have been released at this time. That was 12 hours ago. There were reports before that, that, uh, from the review journal that hopes were fading for Barcelona and Madrid to meet at Allegiant. So I don't know what's going on unless we kind of believe this, uh, sport Madrid.
1: This is like, as someone who, who likes, european soccer this is the thing that i usually find most irritating i have zero idea who to believe when there's reports about things because there's like 40 different countries that all have different reporters and i'm like i i don't know who you are like i feel like i have a pretty good grasp on sports in the united states which reporters like yep if he says it it's definitely true but i have no idea when it's like Madrid zone in Madrid Spain zone
2: tweeted it, Real Madrid and Barcelona will play El Clasico this summer in Las Vegas with a pitcher of Allegiant Stadium
1: could be could be the most reputable source <laughs> yeah, in I Spain. Know, that's
2: the thing it could be it could be, it could they, be they might know everything nobody. or it could yeah. be some kind of closet saying I'm right. Madrid zone and these guys are going to play
1: so uh, I there I know initially there were talks that they were going to play a game here and then COVID happened and then I know you referenced it the RJ you guys had a story that there were Possible problems, and they weren't going to get to play it here. But Madrid Zone says it's happening. Madrid Zone says it's happening. Let's do it. Um, One (laughs) other detail, and thank you to John Nissan for pointing this out on Twitter to me. There was one other detail from that athletic story on the Coyotes and their uh, lease agreement with Arizona State. The Arizona Coyotes are not allowed to modify any of the ice surface, which means they will be playing all of their games with Arizona State's logo on the center ice
2: <laughs> which makes it even better by the way oh phenomenal. which makes it even phenomenal you, yeah
1: you are going to have an nhl team playing in this tiny tiny arena with a sun devil in the middle of the ice yes the pitchfork is going to be in the, in the middle of the, middle of the ice. ice it's oh this this is unbelievably embarrassing it's we, it's unbelievably embarrassing
3: can we just go ahead and make arizona state's Hockey team, the new NHL team down there. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah, they've been D one for a long time, about two yeah. or three years. They can make I the mean, jump.
1: It's this is one of the most embarrassing things that we've had a professional sports team do in this country. Like th- that's pathetic. It's unbelievably pathetic that they're going to be playing at a college hockey arena, and the college hockey team has all the leverage in negotiations. So they're like, you know what, that pitchfork is staying. That's what we're ice. saying.
2: And if you do anything to embarrass, get the hell out of here
1: they get no revenue like no advertising revenue in the arena. Arizona State keeps all of it. Yeah, man. It's like like we talk we've talked a lot about UNLV football having like a bad deal at Allegiant Stadium because the Raiders can basically move their games right, right. whenever they want. UNLV's got some problems with uh, they can't put up any permanent advertising they can only do digital stuff like there's some major hurdles for UNLV that makes Allegiant Stadium not the greatest place in the world for them to be playing at their deal looks so much better
2: than what the Coyotes coyotes have gotten I did. Did you see any raiders? uh, Hey, if you do anything wrong, we're gonna kick you out of Allegiance State. You see any statements like that in the contract?
1: I don't think there's a hey if you get bad headlines. You're (laughs) you're out. You're embarrassing
2: us, so you're out.
1: (laughs) Although there might be. I mean, there might be, and it might be fair if you get bad enough. But this is like. One of the most embarrassing Well,
2: things. I mean, of those two teams, the headlines have been bad for one team that's lately. So <laughs> I that's mean, true. maybe UNLB has that clause and they can kick yeah. them out of a legion.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that is actually true there. Speaking so, uh, Arizona, it's it's unreal.
2: Speaking of which, did you see the other breaking news?
1: No, what do we? What James did I miss? James Bradbury,
2: that cornerback that everyone wanted ah. the Raiders to sign. Eagles, one-year deal, yes. $10 million. Uh,
1: what are the Raiders doing here? Why didn't they sign I know, guy? what happened?
2: Ten million, you got that you that that coming up being released. Come on.
1: Do, do you is it possible he just simply didn't want to wait until yes. June first?
2: Yes. If someone's giving me ten million dollars and <laughs> I can go and play uh with a good team, which the Eagles are gonna be this year, and someone's giving me ten million, I can have it now, I'm gonna go take my ten million.
1: So for those of you that aren't aware, the NFL and its uh, ever complicated salary cap system, they have June first cuts which basically means you can cut players and the Raiders already did, but designate them as June 1st. And that changes your salary cap hits for this season and the following season. But you technically don't get that salary cap space until June 1st. So even though I think it was Nick Kwiatkowski and Corey Littleton, Corey Littleton. So even though those, those two players have already been cut by the Raiders, the Raiders don't get the salary cap space from cutting them until June 1st. So right now, The Raiders have like no cap space. Right. But on June 1st, they're going to free up. They're going to have like, I think it's 15, 18 million, something like that in cap space. So on June 1st, they're going to be able to sign some players. They just can't do it now. And if they wanted James Bradbury at potentially 10 million dollars, they would have needed to basically have him wait until June 1st. And maybe he wasn't willing to wait.
2: I think Carl Nassib falls into that, too.
1: Is okay. Th- it there's only two. It might not have been. Yeah, I think thousand. it was
2: Carl Nassib and Corey Littleton. Yeah. But okay. it's the same thing. They're going to pick up the money on June
1: first. Right. And so I I do wonder how much like if you are James Bradbury and you know this right, the Raiders say, hey, we're interested, but we got to wait until June first because blah blah blah. I do wonder how much he looked at it and said, okay, a team's offering me a, a one year contract right now and it's seven point five million guaranteed with two point five million more than he can earn through incentives. I do wonder if that is enough to be like, all right, I'm not willing to wait two weeks to go to the Raiders who, or maybe he just didn't want to play for the Raiders. But I wonder if there's a level of, hey, I'd rather play for the Raiders, but I'm not willing to risk this because somebody's guaranteeing me 7.5 million now. So I'm going to take on a good team. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I don't blame him. I wouldn't blame him. I don't blame him at all. If he's getting
2: the money right away.
1: Here's some, here's some more breaking news for you. Uh, According to Chris Haynes of Yahoo, Marcus Smart is aiming towards a game two return. Uh-oh. But Al Horford is unlikely.
2: Well, of the two, I think they want Marcus Smart back.
1: Probably. Don't they? Um yeah, I would think so, especially after what, what happened happened to Peyton Pritchard. What happened with uh, um, last night. Yeah, and the other part is like Horford's in the in the health and safety protocols, and maybe I missed it, but I didn't see a specific like I don't think anybody said he tested positive for COVID for sure. So right. maybe he didn't. Like maybe he's just feeling sick. Like I know for a different sport, I know, but the Astros have put two guys on the COVID list in baseball. Neither one actually tested positive. They just had like flu like symptoms.
2: They just had the they symptoms?
1: Said, they said, get out of here. And right. they were like, Oh, they they never tested right. positive and came back a couple of days later. I haven't seen if Horford specifically tested positive or not, which I've would not change either. the timeline, obviously. But if he just has symptoms he might be good to go for game yeah. two. Maybe it's game three. But, yeah, it, it sounds like Marcus Smart's going to come back, and I would venture to guess he's not at 100%, but he watched game one and said, you know what? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm going to play, guys.
2: He watched Pritchard and said, oh, my God. <laughs> he's getting the ball taken away from him, and it's not even being blocked. I better get back in the lineup.
1: Uh, Brad Stevens walked down from the front office and said, listen, yes, Marcus, exactly. I know your foot's
2: hurt. How, how hurt are you,
1: really? But Peyton Pritchard just played 30 minutes and took 16 shots. We're we're going to need you. We're going to need you to come back here. All right, coming up next, Jason Fitz joins
0: the show. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain. And you are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Hello, Jason. Hey, Jason. How's
4: everybody doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, so good. <laughs> is it?
1: What's, sure? what's better about today than usual?
4: Well, I don't know. I'm hanging out with okay. you guys. It's it's actually not cold anymore across the country. Like, there, you know, it takes a long time to get out of Connecticut winter. So, like, where most people are just normal at the end of May, anybody that spent any time in New England is irrationally happy at the end of May because, like, it's actually – you don't have to worry about turning the car on early to heat it up. That's a real thing all the way up until mid-May. Like when I left to start covering the draft uh, in Vegas, w- the last day I was in Connecticut pre-draft, it was in the 30s. Right. Oh. So you know, I came back from the draft and I was like, this, this, I, I can't handle this. And then it was like in the mid-40s. Now, like, come on, we're getting into like the, the upper 70s. Like this is whoa, getting there. We're finally getting there. I yeah, we're thawing. getting
2: in, we're getting into the 103s. So <laughs> we feel really bad oh. for you. Next week, 105. <laughs> Delightful. Uh, we'll yeah
1: so like how is there, how
2: there, there not like can an i uprising? like
4: i just need to ask your expertise on something like what do you guys do with 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 dogs because like this is such a weird thing for me you know looking around at, at vegas and trying to figure out you know i've got dogs and they spend all day outside and in, in the lawn and and i can't figure out like every time i i look at in vegas i can't even figure out where where dogs go do their business like you got like a little fake grass plot that they 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 do their business on. And then you bring it back in. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, that's exactly how it works. And then you walk them Is at ten thirty at night. Yes,
2: they get their walks very oh. late at night.
4: That that seems that, like my, my my dogs are very into like just being able to go out when they, whenever they want. They want they want a free walk. They want to be able to go out in the lawn and like that doesn't that doesn't exist in, no. in Vegas anymore. Like and like so does the the fake grass get stinky? Is it like pet relief areas in the airport?
1: Uh, the the grass we have stays pretty like it flushes it out pretty well on its own. So I've never had any problems with it. And my dog will yeah. go sit in the hundred degree weather for like five minutes at a time during the day, and then come back in.
2: And his, like his they, okay, his yeah. tongues wagging after that. Man, they come in and yeah. they're, they're dead right now
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> you could, you, you've given me insight, Gee And today I just had to ask you questions. So there we go. That's perfectly fine. I was going to ask, how has there not been an uprising? employees to move out of bristol connecticut
4: well there is about every every i don't know five years somebody decides that you know we should be somewhere else and there are massive headquarters now in new york so a lot of people prefer that the only difference is like they're not paying anybody anymore in new york but the cost of living is higher than it is in connecticut so every few years i hear rumblings that we're going to close everything in bristol and move it down to orlando and like the the a there'd be way more competition for my job. There's already a lot of competition, but you put us somewhere that's not the seventh layer of hell when it comes to cold <laughs> and all of a sudden people will want that job even more. So I don't <laughs> need that in my life. And then B, I think they bought that land. I mean, Well, I know they got that land in Bristol in like, what, 76, 75. So like you start thinking about what that means cost-wise, there's no chance they're moving that headquarters because it's paid for and it's it's, it's massive. So – the ESPN campus is the size of a college campus. I, I don't think they want to relocate everybody. So I think it's a pipe dream for people that don't like living in Connecticut, but it keeps competition down. So I'll take that.
2: So we started off by saying you're doing great, which means you haven't read the New York Times. Uh, oh. Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you, we'll you got we'll to. What, what do you say about that? Uh, more uh, more drama. We Okay. We both read it. And I read it several times for, uh, for both jobs, and I did walk away saying, you know what, there's some funny stuff in there about the electricity. There's some kind of humorous stuff in there. But I I kept waiting for the real, like, bomb to drop. I kept, I kept waiting. It's like, okay, what's going on here? And I kind of walked away saying, well, there's a lot of stuff in there. That could happen in a lot of places, and it probably does. Like, what was your take from all of this?
4: Yeah, I, there's got to be more, you know, right. and maybe – that speaks to how desensitized we are to little things. Um, look, I, I think if we want to look at it and talk about the culture uh, when it comes to how businesses run, we have to remember that, that running a business poorly is not always the best thing, but it's not problematic to the point that everybody yells and screams. I mean, think about how many of us have a favorite restaurant that one day we're shocked when the doors are closing and find out that, you know, it was because, they were great at making food, but not great at actually handling the business side. Like, I think some of the things that you look in these, these accusations um, are, are in that level for me. Now, when it comes to, for example, the mistreatment uh, and mispayment of the cheerleaders and things like that from the past, I think the Raiders have addressed that, you know, and, and had to address that in court. So, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that that wasn't awful, I was waiting for something significant you know in the in the same vein as what we've seen from the Washington football team now the Washington commanders. And so far there hasn't been any of that. But I'm also sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Sometimes I feel like in these instances and you would know better than me, but sometimes it, it feels like like little pieces come out I want to extend the story and also it gives everybody the chance to pucker up and get ready for the real moment. But I mean if this is if this is the entirety, of what the Raiders are are being accused of, then it's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. Right.
1: If that other shoe drops, are you reading into this scenario that Mark Davis was sort of not paying attention and now he's cleaning up everybody else's problems or Mark Davis is the problem?
4: Well, I think there's sort of a, a little bit of both on it. Number one, when you run a NFL team, I don't think you have the opportunity to say, I didn't know. Like, I just think that that's a very, 60s, 70s logic that no longer is allowable. So uh, part of it's always going to lie at the feet of Mark Davis. It's not hard for me to imagine in the grand scheme of things that a lot of things are happening that you're sort of unaware of, and then as you become aware of it, you need to suddenly, you know, turn around and blow everything up. The other side of that, though, is that running culture and creating culture is created from the top down. So hiring, for example, you know, I've said this for years when it comes to Coaches, what do you do when you realize that maybe your favorite team's owner is just bad at identifying football talent? So they're always going to hire GMs and coaches that aren't particularly great at their job. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. But at some point, the onus is on the owner. Anybody that's within the organization that is not representing the organization or themselves the right way that is not dealt with swiftly and properly. I mean, that at the end of the day, that comes back to the owner. And you know, I've seen it in different tours I've been on, different buses I've been on. When you, you look at it and say, "Hey, the way that we're going to act is going to be defined from the top down," and and I've said this a million times on the record, but you know, it was in my employee contract with the Van Perry that I could be fired for being rude to somebody uh, in catering. I could be fired for being rude to a runner, and their whole their whole mindset was everything you ever do from the minute we are on property is representative of the band Perry. And they weren't wrong about that because people don't remember that the fiddle player was a jerk. They remember that the band Perry was a jerk and not every tour is like that, but that was a conscious decision by that organization to decide how they wanted to be perceived in every single place we went into. And I, I think, you know, Mark Davis has got to look around and say, if there's a bunch of little details not happening and a bunch of things that are just falling through the cracks. And by the way, there are people that aren't being treated properly and the payments not proper. And, we're not giving people proper rates for what they do. All of these things, you got to look in the mirror and say, okay, then I need to fix this culture. That is squarely on Mark Davis. And the question is, will he put in the work to do that, and will he identify the right talent in the building to make sure that happens?
2: Did the story give you cause to believe that Ventrelli was telling more of the truth in his stuff, or do you still think they're separate?
4: Now, I, I think you can't have this much smoke and not look around and say okay there are massive issues. Now, I think what you can have in anybody that has any friend that's ever gone through divorce, like there's you know they always say there's three sides to the story, like hers, his and the truth, right? And so, you know, there there feels like there's an opportunity here for ventriloquism to turn around and say see this is what I was talking about, Mark Davis to say no that's an over exaggeration of everything. So, I think that can all be true. It's it's you're looking at the same thing from different eyeballs. But certainly you can't have this many things coming out from different people without at some point stepping back and saying, hey, whatever the problem is, it's real and we need to fix it. So for me, the more I read about this, the more I wait for Mark Davis to, to come out, step out and tell everybody what's being done to make sure, even if even if you want to say that this is all in the past and everything's good and And these were just some misunderstandings and blah, 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 blah. Even if that's how you want to couch it, it's now up to Mark Davis to step up and step to a microphone and say, here's what we're creating now moving forward. That's the one thing that I think would give fans and media alike peace is if he came out and said, hey, without without delving into the past, even because of the existing lawsuits, whatever they're going to say, he can easily say, here's who we are moving forward. And to make that statement very publicly, I think would give a lot of people peace of mind.
1: Now, the funniest detail of that story, one was that they had to have their power shut off because they didn't pay their electricity bill in Nevada. But the funniest detail was that after Mark Bedane was gone, John Gruden was summoned to come (laughs) give a pump-up speech to the remaining people left in the business side of this. And I just have to imagine being an accountant, getting ready for eight hours of working on Microsoft Excel, and all of your bosses have been gone or fired or gone in the last week. And John Gruden comes in to tell you you need to work hard for the silver and black.
4: And you know what's crazy about that is, like, I, I feel like there's a certain spot for all of us in life. Like, when you get to a certain level of management, do you just, like, tinkle out your common sense? Like, because there's just this, this <laughs> moment for any of us. Like, if you've ever gone through a management change in general, you know how weird that is and how awful everything feels. A pump-up speech from the richest guy in the room about why you need to fight hard so that he can continue to get rich is really a weird, like, vibe in general. And also, to your point, an accountant's not a football player. So, like, a football player has to listen to the win one for the get 1st speech. The accountant's just saying, hey, like, am I going to be able to keep paying my, my, my bills? Am I going to be able to feed my family? Like, the concerns are very very real and normal everyday concerns that that, you know john gruden is not going to have a shot at understanding from the mansion down the road like it just it feels really disconnected you know and i i know and i tell people all the time like that want to work at espn you don't have to be an expert at your job you you have to come in with the willingness to learn and show the people that are hiring that you love sports that's the key if you're working in technology sales show them that you love sports and i'm sure for the raiders They want people in the building that love football and that love the Raiders. But above and beyond all of that, they love being able to make sure that they can feed their family. So I don't understand that logic at all. And it shows just a level of out of touch to what's real that's got to be fixed.
2: Can you see him with the calculator guy screaming, knock on wood if you're with me? I mean, can you see that? The guy's and we like all
4: know that, like, the calculator around. guy sitting in there saying, like, I got work to do, dude. Exactly. Like, I, yes, you know, I'm, yes. I'm trying to deal with why the electricity hasn't yes. been paid. Like, if you want me in here knocking out <laughs> wood, let's keep going, you know? Uh,
1: were there pump-up speeches before going on stage for a concert? Um, there weren't necessarily pump-up speeches, but we always had, every tour
4: had different uh, traditions. But I will tell you an unsolicited uh, funny story to me. Um You know, sometimes you prank each other on stage and, and, you know, sometimes you get after each other a little bit. So uh, there was a a period early in my career with the band Perry where our guitar player, a guy named Tom, the nicest guy in the world. uh, Tom came up one day and, like, he, like, flicked his, I don't know, his pen or something, hit me in the no-no places with it, you know, in the middle of rehearsal. So, uh, you know, it didn't feel great and I remembered it. So every night before we uh, went on stage... We'd all huddle up and we'd do like a little dance break. People would jump around, like we had like a thing, right? For the last song before we would go on stage. So one night we were playing, I don't know, it was a, it was a big crowd. It was like 25,000 people. We're getting ready to play. The curtain has this like slow rise, and I walk up to Tom to give him like a fist bump. And right as the curtain's starting to, to, to launch, I just backhanded him in the no-no places. And, you know, he, he you know he goes down to his knees, and, like, as the curtain comes up, he's on his knees. Like, he's not standing where he's supposed to be. And he has this little microphone and uh, that he can talk to me in that nobody in the crowd hears. So, like, two songs in, I get this, why would you do that to me from him in the mic? And I just looked over, and I said, a year and a half ago, you threw your pen at my no-no places. So, you know, uh, that, that's, that's, that's how you get rolling. Like, just two lessons out of that. Yes, we all have little things to do, but most importantly, just wait. Like, revenge truly is. Like, if if you can wait long enough that the person you're getting your revenge on doesn't even remember why, that's when you really won in
1: life. All right. Life advice from Jason Fitz on how to get revenge on your friends. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Hey, when they're holding a guitar, they can't punch you back. That's the other
2: important <laughs> life lesson.
1: They're holding a guitar, they can't punch you back. Have a great week, boys. See you, buddy. So there's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Very important life lessons there on how to get revenge. Uh, 18 months later, always got to wait over a year. Coming up next, the Las Vegas Aces may
0: never lose
1: again. Aces defeat the Phoenix Mercury 86-74. to
0: We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff.
1: The Las Vegas Aces are now 4 and 1 on the season. They beat the Phoenix Mercury yesterday. They uh like the Miami Heat dominated the third quarter, 30 to 12 over Phoenix to get the win. And I know I've said this before and I'll probably say it again, Ed. It is so nice to watch the Aces play and them have nobody standing in the paint on like all of their <laughs> possessions. Like unless you have the ball, you are just not in the paint. It is I, it's like one of the most refreshing things to watch after the Bill Lambier era in Vegas that I, I'm i not going to get over it because every time they come down and it's like five out. Sometimes it's only four out, but usually it's five out, which includes Asia Wilson or Dierica Hamby, who under Bill Ambeer would have never left within eight feet of the basket. They They weren't allowed to get outside of that. So it's very refreshing to watch. But I have a concern for the Aces. Here's my concern. Uh-oh. Their bench combined to score four points in the game last night. Raquana Williams had all four of those. Now all five starters were in double figures. Kelsey Plum had 20. Derek Hamby had the fewest at 13 of their five starters. But they basically only played two players off the bench. Only one of them scored in Raquana Williams. They might be too top heavy to actually win a title here. Like they they if they're taking not a chance that
2: someone's gonna get hurt and then they're in I mean, serious yeah, trouble.
1: If you go go the entire season with no injuries and those players, those five don't get worn down. uh, You're probably going to be in pretty good shape, but if they're really only playing seven and they're only getting, you know, 13 minutes out of their sixth and seventh players and not many points out of their sixth and seventh players, you're talking about heavy minutes for your top five and heavy production where they're going to be relied on in every game to do a lot. And they might be too top-heavy to go through an entire regular season. I think once you get to the postseason, it's not as big of a no, concern. Now your rotation's because, not as crazy. Right. Right. But through the regular season, are they going to pick up injuries? And then once you get to the postseason, are these players going to be worn down more than other teams? That's my main concern. And then also to bring it back to one of the weird off-seasons here, they traded yeah. their first and second-round pick last year. Or next year for next year. this year's eighth and thirteenth overall pick, drafted a player at eight, drafted a player at thirteen,
2: and cut both of them,
1: and then cut them less than a month. Yeah, and they didn't cut them for players they're actually using off the bench, right? Like they cut them, and then they're not even using the players that took those roster spots. So I'm I'm curious to see how this plays out over the course of an entire season because you're gonna you can't rely on those five. It can't just be. Kelsey, Young, or Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, Asia Wilson, and D'Erika Hamby playing all of the minutes and scoring all of the points. They're going to need something to happen. Otherwise, they're going to get too run down to actually complete winning a title once we get to the postseason.
2: You think Raquana Williams should be playing more?
1: I mean, she scored. I think she scored 14 in her first game. She's only played in two of their games so far. I think she scored 14 in the first game. So it's not like, I mean, Raquana Williams is a good player, and she'll probably be somebody that scores more than four points per game. But even if it's if it's just six, that's still not really a lot. Like right. they, they need something else. They need more from their bench, and in reality, they need to play more minutes from their bench as well. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out because their starting fives, really good, really good, good. And
2: really good. They're
1: they're gonna get. I everybody's predicted this, but they're probably gonna get a lot out of Kelsey Plum this year. She had a really good year last year, but she's probably gonna be better this year. Jackie Young looks a lot better. But it's just a matter of, is there enough quality players on the roster that you're going to make it through this entire season? That's, I don't know. We'll see. Um, And by the way, Jackie young, the ACE has signed her to a two year extension. Yep. Did you know she was the first overall pick? She's on the last year of a rookie deal. Yep. She's only making (laughs) $72,000. Like the max is like 200,000 or something around $200,000. It's different for different players. But like, I was like, damn, she's, she was, and she was the first overall. Well, did
2: we get what the extension was worth?
1: Uh, I have not seen that report anywhere. Uh, Maybe I missed that, but I have not seen that reported. So she's making
2: 76 on the last year of a rookie deal.
1: Yeah. Which seems like nothing. Right. I mean, like, and again, it's the WNBA where again, the max is you're talking about 200,000 or so, or a little bit less, but like 72,000 still seems for for somebody that was the number one overall pick and is in the last year of the rookie deal just seems like oh wow she's not getting paid anything so i assume she's jumping up to 150 or what maybe maybe she gets a max at like 190 180 whatever that number actually is for her but i was just surprised when i went and looked it up that it was only seventy two thousand dollars for this year
2: and like, what's the minimum 50
1: uh 40? i think they change it to 50 it used to be probably even
2: it probably used to be
1: lower. Yeah, they got they had a new CBA. I think it's what did they up it to fifty? I'd have to double check that to be one hundred percent certain. But yeah, they did they did get a higher minimum salary with the new CBA and a higher maximum salary as well. Which, by the way, in the WNBA, the um the salary cap is just over. I think it's one point two million, and the max salary is like two hundred thousand dollars. So you can you can sign like four max players and kind of be good to go yeah, and still, be,
2: have, yeah and still be okay money-wise yeah
1: especially if you have jackie young making seventy two thousand dollars, <laughs> then you're good to go just sign whoever you want so jackie young getting an extension which is uh well deserved because she's been much, her first year not a great first year but she's been very good and she might be like, a lot of talk about kelsey plum jackie young might be the one that has the biggest sort of Breakout under Becky Hammond where she's Looking to score more and has you know Nobody standing in the paint when she drives To the rim which is a helpful Thing for the Las Vegas Aces So they're 4-1 and one. they're never going to Lose again they had one well, loss if they're going to play Hammond. Phoenix
2: 46 times they're never yeah, going to lose again
1: It's true they'll dominate Phoenix